Yeah, okay, so um, my name is Vicky Manning and I have been collecting wild food for probably most of my life. I, I was very interested in nature and being outdoors as a child and then my grandmother used to take us out collecting various things when we were little. She was quite strict about what we could pick um, so we were supervised. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's really how and how I sort of how my sort of interest has developed. I, I must admit, as I as as I grew up and sort of became a teenager and stuff, I kind of lost interest a bit there. Mm. Um, and it was only really when I had my own children in my mid twenties that I, I started looking again at um, sort of health and nutrition and and you know food generally, um, what I could access that I didn't have to necessarily go to the shops to buy. Um, for me and my family um and then and yeah so so really it's all it's all started from there I, 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 i've only started running a business i suppose from it since uh, in the last sort of three years so prior to that i was uh, i had a, a sourdough bakery um, yes i bought some bread from you once <laughs> oh did you <laughs> yeah <laughs> when i was in glasgow still all right yeah so i i had the sourdough bakery so i used to try and use um a variety of sort of different foraged ingredients in that um, and then prior to that I was running a, I ran a cleaning and support business for uh, to support elderly um, and vulnerable adults to maintain independent living so uh, yeah so quite different so quite a varied so quite a varied journey but I mean I've, I've always sort of been uh, interested in wild food and um, and wild well wild medicine as well and for me food is medicine so yeah yeah, I really like your posts on the Little Forager's Kitchen where you, um, you all your food looks so tasty. <laughs> oh, thank that, you. Have you done like kind of any kind of chef cooking training or anything like that? Yeah, I did. Uh, well, I actually went to um, Argyle College when I stayed in Oban and did um, I did a, a, a VQ in uh, catering okay. mostly because I, I needed to sort of get up to speed with the health and safety stuff and the sort of food hygiene and all that kind of thing, HACCP. Uh, which was really really invaluable um in setting up the, the the bakery but also it's been really useful going forward so yeah so not much um i, I have I, I did some sort of work experience with um uh, a local restaurant in oban but not not i haven't got a chefy background at all Okay, just the, the stuff that you make looks kind of quite chefy. <laughs> it looks <All> nice. Right. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. do, do you come up with your own recipes? Um, it's a combination of research and uh, just like I, various ideas. Uh, I, I'd seen uh, somebody had made a wild rose harissa paste. And I thought, well, there must be a way of using the hips in that as well, you know, rather than tomatoes. And you know the big sort of rugosa um, hips, because it's quite fiddly getting the hairs out of rose hips, as I'm sure you're aware. And I thought, well, they won't be too bad. So I, I, I just had a trial run and thought, I'll try roasting them. I'll de-seed them, de-hair them, roast them with some garlic, and then blitz them into a harissa paste instead of the tomatoes. Um, and that worked really well. So it's partly experimentation and... I just sort of like sort of I'm a bit geeky when it goes to when it comes to sort of going online and looking at what other wild food recipes are out there and then seeing how I can sort of maybe add a twist to them or even just taking a wild food ingredient um, and, and thinking well what, what else can I do with this rather than 
the bog standard because rose hips they always tend to be quite sweet the recipes tend to be quite sweet for them um but i mean even those rose hips even just roasted with some olive oil and garlic and a bit of seasoning were absolutely delicious on their own they look nice yeah yeah, in their own right not even getting blitzed into a harissa paste and did the harissa paste work out oh it was yeah it was really nice nice. yeah Yeah, i did um we did an outdoor workshop janice and i last week uh, and the yeah the wild rose the wild rose hip harissa paste went down the storm so yeah so that was quite good great so we were, i think we were going to talk about menopause and women's health yeah. today yeah yeah wild menopause I, i'm i've been quite lucky i think um i think what's what's made me start thinking about it more is my sister is um starting to go through the menopause and she's having some quite extreme um symptoms like really heavy heavy bleeding and um and stuff and i've been quite lucky and i don't know if it's i don't know if it, if it is because i'm eating so much wild food and I've, i am consuming a lot of phytoestrogens in my diet naturally anyway um but i know my mum had a terrible time with hers and i don't think my nan had such a great you know my grandmother i don't think she had such a great time with hers and have they got quite a different diet to you then well they used to eat meat i don't eat any meat and i don't know if that's had an effect or not um, and and i think as well it's it's just very very different for everybody isn't it everybody's experience of the menopause is unique to them so what works for one person might not necessarily work for another person um yeah and also what i've noticed is people just don't talk about it mm-hmm. you know there's no open discussion about menopause and the symptoms you might be having and the symptoms somebody else is having might be completely different to a symptom that you've had and people seem to be generally in society we seem to be quite uh, reluctant to discuss anything around um periods and our cycle and um you know um even even sort of childbirth and breastfeeding and yeah you know it's quite a taboo subject and i think that's i think that's something that has to change yeah, I was talking about this because I was just doing a workshop in um, about pelvic health and we were talking about the same thing, saying, you know, there's loads of people who are walking around with, you know, sneezy pee and like all this kind of leaky and everything mm-hmm. and you just, you just think, oh, that's normal. It's okay. That's how it's meant to be because <laughs> nobody really talks about it to move on. From no, exactly. And and also, you know, that, that, that can be embarrassing for some people and it, it's a perfect natural part of aging and you know, for, for women anyway, I don't know about men, but um it's a perfectly natural part of aging and as is the menopause and as is puberty and it's you know why aren't they telling why aren't they telling teenage girls what's going to happen to them why aren't they explaining it to them instead of just the the bog standard sex education why aren't they saying look this is happening you have got all of these hormones which have suddenly started coursing all around your body and there's three sorts and one of them is particularly strong and that is going to have a supreme in, a, a supreme effect upon your overall health and well-being and how you were feeling your moods nobody expe- explains that to teenage girls so they'll spend <laughs> their parents thinking they're being stroppy little so-and-sos um not uh, not knowing i'm just going to turn this onto silent not knowing uh, what's going on why they're feeling the way they're feeling and if somebody could just explain that to them surely surely that's got to be a logical thing to do yeah <laughs> there we go nearly off that's it
and then exactly the same situation with menopause you go you go to the, you start you start heading into the menopause you start experiencing symptoms you're feeling absolutely terrible some some women will feel suicidal it's that bad but that's not discussed either they'll go to the doctors and the doctor will give them antidepressants and maybe some hormone replacement no explanation of what's actually happening in your body at all whatsoever uh, and uh, i just think it's shocking you know it's actually shocking yeah so yeah there could um, be a lot less medication couldn't there if we had if we had an idea of what was going on yeah yeah and, and if it was more acceptable to talk about it and maybe uh, if employers would be more um, open to having a, a little bit more leeway with women who are having particularly extreme symptoms. I mean, yeah, I, I think society needs to change, really. It really does. So do you want to take the opportunity to talk about it? Do you want to say, explain maybe a, bit, a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, when, so basically, girls are born with the ability to produce estrogen and then when they hit puberty they'll they'll start producing they'll start producing so there's three types of estrogen so they'll start producing um three types of estrogen so one type of estrogen which is a much weaker form i'm not going to give you the names of them um they'll they'll start we actually so I'll, let's go right back to basics we actually synthesize about approximately 12 different types of estrogen during our lifetime and most people think of estrogen as just one thing. It's not. It's really complex. But the, the, the easiest way to describe it is the three main types. So there'll be a type of e there's a type of estrogen which you only produce after menopause, which you produce, it, sorry, it's the only estrogen that you'll produce after menopause. So once, you're, once you stop bleeding and you're on the other side of all, all those horrific symptoms or not horrific symptoms as the case may be, you're only going to produce one kind of estrogen and it's a much weaker form of estrogen. Then you will start producing um, the strongest form of estrogen um, during your child, child birth years. So, so your child rearing years? No, during your reproductive years. So when you're on your cycle, you'll start producing this really strong estrogen. And then there's another type of estrogen which will reproduce um, during pregnancy. So, so what happens is you're, when you hit puberty, your body will suddenly start producing this estrogen, this really strong estrogen, and you'll start having your, your monthly bleed. And for some of us, that estrogen will be quite level and you won't have such a terrible time with it. But for some girls, the estrogen levels will fluctuate and that's the normal pattern. So your estrogen levels will be fluctuating all the time until you hit your 20s and then they're usually fairly stable until you hit your 30s and then it starts dropping again. So in reality, you could actually say we all start heading towards the menopause or as the medical world like to call it, perimenopause after your 30s. So some women can start having symptoms as early as, as, early as their 30s, even though they're still able to um, you know, reproduce and, and have children, your, your hormone levels are gonna start fluctuating then. And then when you hit, when, when you start getting towards uh, sort of the menopause, so the menopause is, is actually sort of like three phases. So you have that period going up to um, where your periods will start, where, you, where your hormones will really start dropping. So you'll have, you'll have like massive reductions in, in, your, in your 
um, in your estrogen levels and then then they might kick back in again and you might have quite high levels and then it'll so it, it's like it's a bit of a, a helter skelter so so you have these sort of big sort of fluctuations so up until that point your your estrogen isn't quite so isn't quite so strong but you, you're still able to have children you'll hit you'll hit that sort of middle phase where your estrogen will be sort of all over the place and then your periods will stop and then you'll only be producing um you'll only be producing the uh, so prior to that prior to all of that happening we should be really looking after our health because we can really help ourselves so much by eating foods that are high in uh, phytoestrogens so things like soya or fermented soya products um, lentils pulses beans um, healthy grains whole grains and then there's lots of um, natural plants natural sort of wild plants that we can take which is, is this, full of sorry can i just interrupt is that it's just because i lost you in the reception there was this prior to um when you're turning 30s before the kind of perimenopause or yeah yeah i mean really really stop really think about your your health because if you can if your health is good then um going forward you're going to have a much easier time of it because your body will cope better but let's face it how many of us in our 20s are thinking yeah, about that I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the last least, one mind <laughs> yeah yeah but at least if we know this information when it's when when things do start when we do start noticing sort of shifts in our health and maybe the odd symptom then maybe we can think, okay, well, maybe I could start trying to include such and such in my diet or such and such in my diet instead. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think really from, so from the age of 30 onwards, we should be looking at um, eating plenty of foods that are going to help with our bone density. And um, if we're having heavy periods, you know, have nutritive foods that have got plenty of uh, minerals and vitamins in them as well. Um, and take taking regular sort of like herbal infusions and teas you know just really really start thinking about looking after your health but i mean we, we, nobody knows about this because nobody you know it's not it's not on the national curriculum is it no um and doctors most doctors most male doctors haven't got probably haven't got a clue themselves they don't anyway. want to talk about it either <laughs> or they don't want to talk about it yeah. yeah or they haven't got time to explain it yeah yeah um you know why why can't you go into a doctor's waiting room well you can't go into a doctor's waiting room at the moment unless it's an emergency <laughs> can you but i mean you, you should be able to go into um, a health clinic uh where, where you would normally just go and see your gp and there should be information leaflets explaining what's happening during the menopause explaining what's happening during pu during puberty mm -hmm. but it's it's just not there no it's, yeah so that was a bit garbled sorry <laughs> <laughs> so um what what would you what foods would you particularly recommend we'll talk about just normal foods first i think and then then we yeah. can talk about wild foods i think yeah well for me because i don't eat meat so um for me it would be um lots of um pulses uh beans peas lentils um particularly lentils are supposed to be really good um fermented soy products and um, soya soya is full of phytoestrogens anyway um yeah so just try and incorporate uh, as many as many of those and then things like oats because oats are really um really good for uh, for your bones so they help sort of strengthen your bones so anything 
I mean, if you just go on Google and Google things that are good for bone density, they're, they're, they're the sorts of foods that you need to be eating because your bone density uh, will be, can be seriously compromised during um, the menopause because you, because you ha suddenly having this drop in that really strong estrogen that keeps your bones really strong because you've got to be strong to give birth. You've, you've got to have strong hips. You know, that whole pelvis area has got to be tip top to be able to push a baby out, as we both know. Yes. <laughs> so you know that, that that sort of thing you need to really sort of be looking at um yeah your, your your sort of bone health i would say yeah yeah so things like um like leafy greens and vitamin d and out in the yeah sun yeah and all that kind of stuff as well yeah yeah and like weight bearing exercise and stuff wouldn't you kind of yeah pelvic floor exercises Mm -hmm. but not uh -huh. just kegels can i say <laughs> yeah they are not the be all and end all everything <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> yeah 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 all those sort of dark leafy greens so so mm -hmm. cabbage your kale um yeah chards and uh, and, mm -hmm. a, and a, a, a wide variety of different you know vegetables not just sort of sticking to the same things all the time yeah yeah and um so in with regards to wild foods which are the you're kind of top wild foods that you would incorporate for menopause or would you just say uh, generally across the board eat yeah it's 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 different things work for different people so for me what's what works really well for me or it seems to work really well for me um i so i drink a lot of nettle because it's high in vitamins and minerals um dandelion i i eat and drink a lot of dandelion products and and, and minerals and also um, dandelion is really good at flushing out sort of toxins so if you if your if your liver is um struggling because you've got uh levels of estrogen that shouldn't be there it's good at flushing it out as well um so yeah we do need the estrogen but we don't need too much of it um and then i, I mean i i i really enjoy drinking ladies mantle and rose that's a really nice combination and both of those are particularly good for um, sort of balancing out, out hormones. And uh, rose is uh, a really sort of nice relaxing mood lifting herb as well. So, and I'm talking rose petals here. Um, and then I tend to try and have um, a mixture of different things. And so I try and have a, a, a herbal blend with uh, rose hips, dried rose hips in it, um, red clover, um i quite like um i quite like my nettle i must admit i'm good with, I'm good with the nettle um oat straw as well which isn't really in scotland i don't know how much oat straw you're going to find growing wild you, you might need to nip into a farmer's field and steal it and you never know if it's been affected by pesticides but yeah 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 i mean you, oat, oat straw infusions is a really good one because it's really good for your bone density again um, you could always buy that can you as a herb i know it's not a wild food it, but you can just order it online include yeah. it <laughs> yeah i mean i, I it's, it's it's not expensive um and I, I just order it i just order it online because i can't get it around here mm -hmm. um so other wild foods um things like self-heal uh are really good uh mugwort not if you're having heavy periods though mugwort's not a good one for heavy periods but um i, I quite like drinking mugwort tea especially as a hot chocolate before i go to bed um, yeah. Nice. So are, yeah. You that, are you making hot chocolate and then just in how are you putting the mugwort in, just infusing it in? Yeah. So if I know if I if I think 
if I think far enough ahead, I'll infuse the mugwort into my plant milk earlier okay. in the day. Yeah, and then heat it, and then I'll um, and then I'll mix my chocolate in, and then I'll just strain it through a set through a, a tea strainer. Okay, and um, I saw you were doing um, dandelion lattes as well. So how? Oh yeah, because <laughs> that sounds nice as well. <laughs> yeah, so dandelions. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a process with the dandelions because. I, because I've got the allotment and all the, all the, all of the other plot holders think I'm nuts because I've been cultivating my dandelions all year. Because you do need quite a lot of roots and it's it's so much easier digging them out of a bed than going off somewhere with a spade and, and trying to dig them out somewhere wild. Because <laughs> yeah. the ground's invariably more compacted, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, so you need a good, you, you sort of need a good quantity of dandelion roots. Uh, and then the washing, that's, that can be a bit of a struggle as well because dandelions, they don't just grow straight down. They're all over the place and, and they sort of twist around each other. And so yeah, you've got to... No, I was yeah. just, I was just, I've just been digging out some dandelion roots. I've just, yeah, quick, but half of them snap, so I'm going to get little tiny bits of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it's really hard getting them, getting mm. the whole thing out. Um, yeah, so, and then I just give them a really good clean. I just chop them up um, and then put them in my, uh, in a, I just blitz them in my food processor. So they're already quite small. And then that means that I don't have to dry them out quite as, it doesn't take quite as long for them to dry out. And what I tend to do is I tend to spread them onto baking stones in the oven at about 60 degrees for about an hour. And then, um, and then, I, and then I turn the uh, oven up to about 180. And it probably takes between half an hour and, that, and an hour. So they need to be quite sort of dark, um, quite, quite a dark sort of brownie color. Uh, and then I just put them through the coffee grinder um, and you end up with quite a fine sort of powder. I, what I, I put them through the coffee grinder and then I sieve, I put that through a sieve. So I end up with a, a sort of a dandelion root um, powder it, and it just looks like, you know, the, like the, the sort of instant coffee powders that you can, you can buy in the supermarkets. Yeah. It just looks like that. And actually it smells quite like that. It doesn't taste like coffee, I would say. Have you tried it, Rox? Uh, no, that's why I was just picking my dandelions to do. I, do you know well, I was speaking with Anne for two reasons. One, to try making a coffee, and then two, because I, I had, I bought some dried dandelions, uh, roots, and I, and I, when I ate them, they tasted really sweet, and I thought, oh, this might be quite nice as a sweet that I could just use my kids. So I'm trying to, I'm just, but I haven't tested it out yet because I've, I'm just, I've just got to the point of washing my dandelions. But <laughs> right, okay. See, I've made, I made tea for a group at the allotments last year just with the fresh root and they were all like oh <laughs> they thought it was terrible but um yeah i mean dandelion root can be quite bitter as well mm. uh, where did you get the root from um it was a uh, where was it it was a shop in edinburgh i can't remember right. the herbal shop in edinburgh yeah was it already dry mm -hmm. yeah that that would be why it wasn't yeah you can roast them as well if you if you they're a little bit like um you know how beetroots, if, when, you beet, when you boil them, the skin sort of peels off? Mm -hmm. Well, the dandelion root's a bit like that. But you've got, it's a really fine line between boiling them to a mush and boiling them so that they're still firm enough to get the skin off and roast as well. Oh, um, okay. And you sort of roast them with a bit of oil and some salt and pepper, you know, a bit like you would a roast potato. Mm -hmm. And that's quite nice. Or you can just um, sort of flash fry them in some really hot oil in a frying pan. Um, and they're quite nice like that as well as almost as a sort of side vegetable. 
but yeah, I mean, I just, I just roast them. I, I, I tend to just gather them and roast them and blitz them. I've made um, Peshwari nans with them and oh, replaced right. the coconut with them um, with fresh dandelion. But I've done like a mixture because, like I said, fresh fresh dandelion root is quite bitter, mm-hmm. and and that worked quite well. And I've also made um, uh, like a sort of a it was a sort of chocolate and peanut butter oat bars with the fresh shredded dandelion root through them and that was quite nice actually that was i think i think all the sweetness from from the peanut butter and the chocolate masked the bitterness of the dandelion maybe uh, the the bitterness of dandelion kind of blended it in a bit as well and i I think we kind of people always complain about dandelion being really bitter and yet i know it depends on how at what point when you eat the dandelion but in some ways i quite like that bitter taste and i think it's definitely a taste that we've lost <laughs> oh yeah yeah well we're, we're so used to eating all these really sweet vegetables aren't we mm-hmm. um i mean look at well kites <laughs> yeah i mean um, the thing is we need these bitter flavors don't we because you know if, if you have something bitter in your in your mouth you're um, immediately that will send a signal to your brain to then send a signal to your liver to start producing more bile because it knows it's going to get something coming into your stomach very fairly shortly and so we will digest our food more efficiently because there's more bile being produced so you know we, we need bitter flavors in our diet as well it's in fact it's quite important that we have bitter flavors in our diet but we all tend to sort of gravitate towards sugary things which are actually yeah. really bad for us and they're bad for inflammation and yeah um, yeah and it was something that people used to do in the past at least in europe wasn't it with when you've got your your bitters yeah. and aperitif yeah <laughs> digestives <laughs> and aperitifs <laughs> Yeah, might be something that's good to put in again. I wonder if I was wondering actually. I wonder if people would be more more likely to do it because it's almost because they're quite often you know like a bit of alcohol or something. So it maybe people yeah. think, oh, it's a good easy thing to take, you know. Yeah, that would be a good thing to have at the uh, Wild Food Festival mm, and a teeth yeah. session. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet that would be really popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what else do you have in your, um, because you have a workshop, don't you, the menopause workshop? Yeah, well, it was a walk, it was a walk, really. Um, I was, I I was considering doing a menopause, um, an online menopause sort of workshop slash course, but um, I've I've kind of gone off the idea, partly because um, I I don't feel comfortable, because that's quite a lot of work and I don't feel comfortable charging because I, I really feel passionately that this information should be readily available to everybody. And also it, and the menopause is such a unique thing to ev- every person going through it. Um, you know, I, I know one, one of my friends, she just stopped having her periods and she had no symptoms at all whatsoever. Um, and, and she's the same age as me. She's a year older than me, actually. But she stopped, her period stopped five years ago and that was it. Nothing. She's had no symptoms, no or um she, she she said she doesn't feel she doesn't wake up having a dreadful fear or anything <laughs> you know it's just, that's it stopped that's good. and then and then you know some people will have hot flushes and uh, and feel really uh, high levels of anxiety and they'll suffer with um osteoporosis and um terrible migraines and you know all sorts of all, all sorts of, of, of terrible things you know really bad symptoms and then 
a lot of people will just have sort of middle of the road symptoms, you know, a few hot flushes, um, maybe maybe the odd night sweat, um, a little bit of anxiety. So for everybody, it's really, and not everybody will have all the same symptoms either. Mm-hmm. Some people will maybe just feel, uh, will just have a few hot flushes now and again. And for some people, a hot, fl- hot flush may last 30 seconds, but for some people it may last 10 minutes. So, you know, it's, it's just really, really different to everybody. And I, I think it's, and also I, I'm not a medical professional, not by any means. I've just gone out and done the research for myself. And, and done the research and been horrified that this isn't readily available and everybody should know about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I did um, the menopause walks. Uh, well, I did one menopause walk last year, uh, sorry, this year. Um, and I think next year going forward when everything starts, when the ground starts producing again, um, I'm going to start doing regular menopause walks next year. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to start a menopause support group online. Uh, and I'll just um, I'll just invite people to join, uh, and we can all talk about um, we can all talk about our own experience of menopause, because like I said, it's, and what works for us, because yeah. it might work for somebody else as well. It might not, but it might work for somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know. So, I mean, I I was experiencing probably the the, the only sort of. Um, symptom that I can I can put my finger on was I was experiencing I was waking up in in the morning and I was feeling really anxious and didn't know why could just couldn't explain it Um, and then I thought is this because of the lockdown am I really feeling like this because of the lockdown um or or is something else going on here and that and that really prompted me to think right I I need to do something about this and I can't go to the doctor wouldn't wouldn't want to go on HRT ever in a million years um, not that I'm saying that's not the right thing for some people, because for some people it definitely is. But um, yeah, so for me, I started so I started having infusions of um, of, of red clover because it's high in phytoestrogens. And, oh, that... and sorry, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was already, I was already, I already eat. I mean, I drink soy milk in my in uh, if I'm having a normal cup of tea, I'll have soy, I'll have soy milk. So or if I'm going to make porridge, I'll use soy milk. Um, or a nut milk so I was already eating quite a healthy diet anyway but for me I just needed to identify what might be causing me to have that anxiety and um, and was that just like the first kind of indication of you having menopause going through menopause possibly yeah possibly I mean I'm, I'm still having my period so okay and it has become a little bit irregular but I'm, I'm not having a sort of like major sort of flooding or anything which I know is a, a a big one for a lot of women unfortunately um but yeah so i've, I've just been but I, I was i really started looking into why i would be feeling anxious and what was going on and that's when i, I did the research and, and discovered about the you know the fact that there's just more than one type of estrogen and um and obviously all in levels of um i think it's estradiol the the really strong estrogen can have a serious impact on um on, on your, your mental health and it can have a serious impact on your um on your bone density as well so yeah so I, that so for me that's I, that's what i started um i started sort of looking at that and thinking yeah and then i thought why is nobody else talking about this <laughs> <laughs> why is why is there not all of this stuff happening everywhere else um 
yeah but i mean instagram's a great place for it there's plenty of um there's plenty of accounts on instagram that will talk about menopause and yeah yeah you just need to put the hashtag in <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> yeah and now so where can people join on to your uh course is it going to be on your website or yeah I, well i've got a website which i haven't published yet because i'm it's i'm still working on it but yeah i'll put i'll put it on the facebook page um i'll, I'll make it an, an event and if if people want to join i'll maybe do it what we'll do is well i was thinking if we get together once a month um maybe a group of not not too many because if we have a massive group if there's hundreds of people nobody's going to discuss anything yeah too big but i thought if i limit it to maybe 10 women per group and then and then maybe have so, sort of once a week say on a wednesday night um ha have a live session where we can all get together and chat and um so if there was say for example if there's if there's like 40 or 50 women wanting to join i'll say okay well we'll, we'll have um one night a week each you know for each month for, for each group so yeah so maybe group one would have like the first week in the month and then group two would be the second week in the month and then group three the third you know and sort of do it like that because i don't know i don't i don't know how popular it would be um and i, I i'm not thinking about charging a, a huge amount of money i, I something maybe two pound fifty a, a month just cover the cost of the zoom yeah It'd be interesting for you as well, because um, to find out, like, if you say to people, okay, if you include like dandelions, for example, in your diet, to then get feedback from people to find out how many people either included it, also what kind of if it had, they noticed any difference and if it had any effect. Because I don't know if there's any, because there's not there's not really that much research in no. into like wild foods, so it'd be quite it's quite interesting to get, and specifically not in this area as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be quite I interesting. Mean, if you, the thing is, if you put dandelions and nettles side by side with spinach both of them have got a much higher nutritional profile than spinach M massively i mean spinach would be down here and nettles and dandelions would be way ahead you know off the screen ahead um which which is why like, like you're saying earlier about the, the gardeners they don't you know rather than just pulling them out you could pull them out you could still pull them out but then you could eat them can you <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely just get rid of yeah. them yeah totally and if if we if we had a support group as well we could discuss like different recipes and um you know i'd be happy to share how, how they should process dandelions i mean i i have always got some dandelion pesto in the freezer or, or or in the fridge you know on the go and dandelion leaves yes they are bitter you just especially at this time of the year believe me <laughs> but you just blanch them a couple of times blanch them a couple of times rinse them put them in some fresh water blanch them again rinse them and then blitz them into a pesto with some nice oil, some lemon juice, some garlic, some nuts and seeds. I don't eat cheese because I'm, I'm allergic to dairy, but um, I, I just use nutritional yeast, but you could add in some nice hard um, pecorino or par parmesan or something, you know, and, and it's, it's absolutely delicious. You know, it's a nice chunk of warm, freshly baked sourdough and a spoonful of your your dandelion pesto you can't beat it it's you know at, at the end of the day it's all about um if, if, we, if we want to look after ourselves we need to be eating better food don't we yeah. and i don't think you could eat much better food than the stuff that's growing wild on your doorstep hasn't been treated with pesticides you know it hasn't been intensively grown it's grown up its own back it's strong 
um, and it's full of phytonutrients. So you don't have to worry about food miles and food deteriorating no. as well, do you? Like it's been sitting yeah, exactly. It, it, you couldn't be more sustainable if you tried, could you? <laughs> at the end and of the day, when you're picking the dandelions at this time of year, are you still picking? Are you picking the young ones or the older ones for if people want to go out oh. and do it themselves? Yeah. So at this time of the year, I'm digging up the roots. So um, I'll I'll take the I'll take the leaves. I'll take the whole thing. Bring it home. I'll check some of the leaves might might on the on the more mature dandelion plants might be a little bit iffy so they'll they'll go i won't eat those but as as long as they're as long as they're healthy looking i'll eat them um in the in the spring if you want um to include them into salads um you know the the, the smaller the leaf the less bitter it'll be so the young sort of tender looking same with any any sort of salad leaf isn't it really um and then as as the leaves mature so the bigger the leaf the bitter it'll be so um, but yeah, it's quite nice actually. I, I, I quite like having sort of like young dandelion leaves chopped into a sandwich with um, some nut cheese or something, and it's almost almost mustardy. Um, and you can throw them into sort of like soups, and uh, you know, if you're doing a casserole, or if you're making a stuffing for something, or you know, you can just use them, just use them as you would any other sort of leafy vegetable. Yeah, and it's quite a good one, isn't it, for people to generally. You know, most people generally recognise dandelions. So. Oops, sorry, you totally broke up there. Oh, right. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, no, I said it's an easy one. It's an easy oh, one yeah. to recognise. Uh, and if you just, like I said, just blanch it a few times and then you can just use it like you would any other vegetable. And the other one you said, red clover. Oh, again, that's another one. It's like, are you just using the... The flowers or are you using the leaves as well? All of it, yeah, I use all of it. The flowers and the leaves. And I, I also use white clover as well. White clover isn't, um, hasn't got a particularly high amount of phytoestrogen in it, but it's still really nutritive. Nutritive. <laughs> so, um, you know, full of vitamins and minerals. So, yeah, so I use both. And if, you, if you're wanting to gather red clover, you'll find the the leaves look the same you know they've got that sort of like v on the leaves that sort of marking on both the red and the white but the red clover is um hairier the leaves feel hairier and the stems are hairier as well so that's that's the easiest way to distinguish and how would you recommend people use use them i would so i i um i just dry them in the summertime i just air dry them um if the weather's particularly wet and damp um, I might pop them in the oven on a really, really low. I haven't got a dehydrator, so a dehydrator would probably be the best, the best way to go. Um, but I'll just put them in a low oven, probably around about 30 degrees. But I'll, I'll always try and air dry them first. So, and to do that, that's easy. Just I, I just have a piece of paper on the dining table and just spread them all out, um, so that the, there's as much space amongst the sort of plant material as possible. Um, and I'll just I'll just do it that way. I see you've got lots of nice things hanging behind you there, Rox. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm dry them off a little bit before I start. You making them into? I'm going to try. They're actually all for oils. Um, right. But that one's for um, that's the rosemary. I'm going to be using it for my kitchen medicine workshop that I'm doing. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah, I think um, yeah, you can't really hang up um, clover because it's not it's just not big enough. <laughs> the stems aren't big enough. So I just find it easier to just sort of lie it all around yeah uh, yeah uh, and nettles nettles I, I i tend to just lie them on the kitchen table as well i'll sort of sp spread them all out um they're easier to handle when they're dry 
when they're a bit dry, you know, to, to strip the leaves off. Um, and do you use this, are you using the seeds as well? Yeah, use the seeds. The seeds are, uh, yeah, nettles are amazing, aren't they? They're like nature's antihistamine. Uh, and they're like nature's um, sort of like um, stimulant as well with the seeds between the between the sort of leaves and the seeds. And then, you know, yeah, like an old, old tonic as well, aren't they? Just grab yeah, fantastic. Leaves and the seeds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic. And then, you know, the, the they, they used to use them for, I mean, they're so fibrous and woody, the stems. So they used to use them for weaving fabric, didn't they? And um, mm -hmm. and also as a dye. It just seems, it seems crazy. Like we've got all these nettles around as well. It seems so crazy that we don't use nettles for plastic. I know. I know. They're, they're just, people usually are dismayed when they see them grown in their garden. And it's like, what, why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still collecting nettle seeds now out of the allotment. And I've deliberately not cut them back um, around the sort of like, so around the back of my shed. Um, sort of all against the fence and then um there's just masses of them have just appeared in the compost heap this year um and i thought well do you know what i'm not going to go in there and pull them all out i might as well just eat what i can which i have done um and, and then and then i let some of them go so that i would get the seeds and now uh, there's more seeds than i can take which means there's going to be mo loads more nettles there next year <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that's fine that's absolutely that's good, fine yeah yeah i mean they're really great i mean they support the the seeds support your adrenal system, don't they? So, um, and that I find, I mean, I'm not great with caffeine. Caffeine makes me quite sort of jittery, but nettle seeds just wake you up, don't they? In a different way. They're, they're a really gentle sort of way of, uh, sort of, of, of getting you focused and yeah, not to be taken at four o'clock in the afternoon if you're intending on going to bed at um, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've got I've grown some nettle seeds to um, try a recipe with um, nettles and the rosemary to make into an oil. But apparently, right. it's an old um, uh, Roman recipe for putting on, particularly for small joints, for helping um, like ease the pain in small joints. All right, so okay. That might be something that you'd be interested in trying. Yeah, <laughs> with all your nettle seeds. Because be, they used to, didn't they? Used to beat themselves with uh, yeah, nettle leaves and leaves. But I was. She thinks that the way that would work, it would be the same way that um, chilies would work. Like it would, it would actually start to affect the nerve endings. So it would actually start to deaden the nerve endings. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't be curing your, it would, it wouldn't be curing your arthritis, but it would Can't be. Feel it anymore. <laughs> yeah, you just wouldn't be able to feel the pain from it anymore. <laughs> but it'd be quite a painful process to go through in the first place, I should imagine. You probably get used to it though, because you kind of, after you get quite a lot of nettle stings, they sort of almost. I don't know, they lessen the amount less. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean by that. Is there anything else that you want to to say about um, the menopause and the wild foods and also like about your places that people can find about out about you? Oh right. Yeah, well I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um the Little Foragers Kitchen. And uh, yeah, that's the easiest place to find me really. Um, or you can drop me an email, the little foragers kitchen at gmail.com. <laughs>